Well, good morning. It's my privilege to take you to the Word of God and to uh, uh, seek together to understand what God might say to us through this text in this moment among this group of people that he has gathered together today. I'd, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 59 and 60. And we're even going to touch on chapter 61. If you're using the, the Pew Bible, you can find it around page 527, 528. It's a lengthy passage. I, I'm going to read most of it and, and kind of skip around a little bit in order just, just for time's sake. But um, this is a, a text I find I keep coming back to. Uh, it's something that has come to mean a lot to me. Uh, because it addresses a challenge that I'm not very good at and uh, need to be reminded of. And that has to do with uh, this business of being patient across long periods of time to see what God is doing and how he's leading and uh, being content to wait for God uh, while we uh, look for his promise. So this text is describing the people of Israel uh, as they were in captivity, awaiting salvation. And in that case, I mean, we understand that the Bible speaks of eternal salvation, salvation through Jesus Christ. But in those days, among those people, there was a very physical kind of salvation that was required, the salvation from their captivity, and the physical bondage and, um, and restriction. And so this is written to them as a voice of promise in a time of, uh, of trouble for people. And perhaps there are ways in which we can relate today to, to what we're reading. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's the New International Version. Don't be thrown by that. Uh, just just uh, enjoy the, the different expressions of the same truth. I'll begin reading from uh, chapter 59, verse 14. Isaiah 59, verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west 
and his glory from the rising of the sun. And I want you to imagine if you were in captivity, if you were longing for salvation, longing for freedom, what it must have felt like to hear these words of a redeemer, of salvation, of righteousness that was to come, as justice that would be enacted. For he will come, verse 19, like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord and as for me this is my covenant with them says the Lord my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time, this time forth and forevermore. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you for behold, Darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together and come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Imagine that, that message of hope in a moment of captivity. A multitude of camels shall cover you. That sounds a little weird, but I get the idea. <laughs> the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They shall bring, this might sound familiar, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nabaoth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify, beautify my beautiful house. Verse 10, Foreigners shall build up your walls. Their, their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. Imagine these people whose nation had been swallowed up who had been lifted up as a nation, carried away to a foreign land, held in captivity. Now this promise that the nations would come to them and bring their wealth before them. What a powerful, powerful thing. The nations and kings, verse 12, that, shall, that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall utterly be laid waste. The glory of Lebanon should come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you, the sons, their sons, your captors, your afflictors, the people who've been punishing you, 
Their sons one day who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I'll bring gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord, the Lord himself will be your everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended your people shall be brightness, all brightness. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, the smallest one, a mighty nation. I am the Lord in its time. I will hasten it. The NIV says, I am the, the Lord. In its, in, in its time, I will do this swiftly. Lord, uh, you, this was written a long time ago, uh, written directly to a group of people that, who had a different experience than ours. And yet, Lord, we sense the hope in these words. We we sense the power of it. There are aspects of this that we can relate to. And, and we believe that, that you spoke this prophetically in a way that was intended not only to bless the, the people of Israel in their day, but, but our people in our day. So speak, Lord, by your spirit. Help, use, use my words and my tongue to, to bring truth to bear on these people in this place here. In this moment, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, um, merry, happy, new Christmas year. <laughs> I mean, we're in that weird point of time, right? Sort of in between. As Wes said, we, we, we don't know whether to sing a Christmas song or another kind of song. We, we, we don't know whether to say Merry Christmas or Happy New Year because uh, time moves along, right? And uh, we've had a wonderful season. I've really enjoyed our time together here at Dunbar these last few weeks. It's been amazing. And, uh, and we've had a wonderful Christmas. And uh, at least many of it, most of us had. I, I trust you have had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, we are looking forward to the new year. And I don't know how you feel about new years, new decades, as we were reminded this morning. But uh, I kind of like this time of year. Uh, January is... is there's something fresh about January to me. I don't know. You turn the page on the calendar. Of course, it's all arbitrary, right? Like it's, it's, just, it's just a calendar and uh, kind of made up, you know, in terms of the dates and the times and seasons and all of that. But there's something about it that, that feels fresh to me. And I, and I like that uh, as I'm trying to uh, manage the process of time in my life. 
And you, and you understand that, that time feels to me at least like something that needs to be managed. Because time is hard. Right? Like, and it's weird. I've, I've got to say, like, like, do you, if you can explain some of these things to me afterwards, I'll be pleased. Because I, I don't really know how to understand time very well. I mean, they say that as you get older, time moves faster. Is that true? Well, it feels that way. I mean, I'm getting older, and uh, I'm certainly older than many of you, and, and it feels that way that as you get older, time moves faster. But, of course, that seems foolish because time is, you know, very mechanical and mathematical when you really think about it, you know, like you have millennia and centuries and decades and years and months and weeks and, and uh, days and hours and minutes and seconds, and these are all very precise measurements of time that do not shift, they don't stretch, they don't contract. I mean, these things are very standard and uh, set and fixed, and they just keep moving these, these measurements. They don't get faster or slower. It's our perception of time that changes, it seems. And there's theories about this. Um, uh, I, I read a theory on a, a BBC publication that, that talked about the proportional theory of time. And the, the suggestion was that the reason time moves, feels like it moves faster as you get older is because you're getting closer to the end of your time. Right? And, and so, uh, you know, you, you sense somehow uh, the, the, shrink of, uh, the shrinkage of what's ahead relative to what's past, and that creates this feeling of, of weirdness. But at the same time, you know, we can all look back and think of perhaps a, a special vacation that seems to live forever in our memory, or a special time with, with children, or, or um, I don't know, some wonderful memory from your past that seems to be almost elongated in time. And it's just weird. <laughs> I've noticed that when I look forward, it seems like things take forever. And when I look backwards, things like, it feels like things go swiftly. Uh, I, I say it this way, uh, time, future, um, the future is slow in prospect, but the past is swift in retrospect. <laughs> you know? And I don't really know why that is exactly when it should be, just that, that time is strict and mathematical and measurable. The, the psychologist William James said, uh, and I love this quote, he said, what is or where is this present? He said, it is melted in our grasp, fled ere we could touch it, gone in the instant of its becoming. Melted in our grasp, fled or we touched it, gone in the instant of its becoming, the present time. Tempest fugit, they say, time flies for most of us. On the other hand, there are people for whom time has to be worked and worried. Uh, prisoners talk about doing time as if just existing in time requires effort and struggle and pain. And we understand that, especially when we're waiting for something that we've hoped for. 
I remember a few years ago now uh, seeing the movie 12 Years a Slave. Do you remember that one? Uh, the story of uh, Solomon Northrup, who was held against his will as a slave in the southern United States for 12 years. Uh, the movie that came out, uh, one uh, critic called it not 12 years of a slave, but two, two hours of shame. <laughs> because to sit and watch that as a white person in the theater was a very shameful and, or to, to that writer. Uh, and very difficult experience of time. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine, because I've never had this experience of being held captive, of not being free, of not being able to make my own choices in life. I mean, we complain sometimes about government restrictions and you know, jobs and things like that, but to truly be captive to lack basic human freedom for an extended period of time. I can't even begin to imagine. I remember watching that movie, and there was a period of time when the, the slaves on the plantation gathered together to mourn the death of one of their, their friends. And at that memorial service, that funeral, you might say, they began to sing together. And they sang a song of hope, of Jordan, which for them was a metaphor, I suppose, a, a biblical image describing their hope of heaven, their hope for something better, their desire that one day they might know freedom, a time when truth would triumph, when justice would flow, when freedom would be the experience of everyone. Uh, they longed for that moment. They hoped for it. They dreamed of it. They sang of it. It became their animating essence. But for how long would they wait? How long would their patience be required? And I thought of that as I read this passage. To be captive, to long for justice, to long for truth, but to wonder how long. When, Lord God, would this become our reality? There's an interesting theological thing that's happening in this text. The way it's written it's described as if this future hope is written in the present as if it's already true. The theological word for this, and this is a good word to remember, it's a complicated word, you don't hear it every day, but it's a good word to file away. It's the word prolepsis. Prolepsis. And what that word means is the description of a longed-for future as if it's already happened. And you often see that in the prophetic texts of Scripture, in the Bible generally, when something in the future is described in present tense. And this is, this, these promises that we just read about the sons of oppressors coming and bowing down before him, uh, these, these promises of redemption, 
of truth and justice triumphing, of wealth accruing, of nations falling, of, of, of oppressors being brought to accountability. These incredible, hopeful images are described as if they are already certain. And the challenge for the people who first received this message was to hear that truth and live as if it was actual, even while they were experiencing the difficulty of their present. That's a hard thing to do. That is the essence of that other theological word we use so often, the word faith. To believe beyond the physical circumstances of the present moment, to understand something different in other as if it were actual because we believe that in Christ it is. This is how we seek to live our lives in time. And yet I understand the challenge in that deep, deep longing for the hoped for to become in the moment, actually, you know? So, so, so we read at the end of chapter 60, the least shall become a clan, the smallest one a mighty nation, but when, Lord? How long? How can I hold on as I wait? And the answer is, I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. In its time, I will do this swiftly. It's an oxymoron. This idea of timely swiftness. You see, you see the weirdness of that? This, this sense of required patience, and yet this hastened promise, this, this patient expectation, this, this long swiftness. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing, really. And it's offered us in, in, in the understanding that God is God. I am the Lord. And you can count on me to do this. It's, it's, it's fascinating. There's a couple of things that, that I think are helpful to understand as we relate to this weird kind of contradiction or oxymoron. One is the nature of, of time from the perspective of eternity. So we understand that God is eternal, right? We believe that God is eternal. He, he has always existed. We don't fully understand that or appreciate that because we are in time. We believe that God actually created time. And so the way that we experience life, one moment at a time, one thing at a time, this and then this and then this and then this, God stands above all of that. 
And from the perspective of God, the future is already, even as the past and the present. So as we experience things moment by moment by moment, the promises of God are already fulfilled in eternity in him. And so the patience that we uh, require is only a fact because of the fact that we exist within time for now. (laughs) Uh, The other thing about time that's interesting is that as we live in time, we understand that there is a trajectory to it. We are not existing in like a kind of a a Mobius strip that just kind of turns and twists and always ends up where it started, right? We're not Buddhists in that sense. We are, we're not uh, just, just living a pattern that repeats itself like some interminable Groundhog Day. We're, 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 not, um, yeah, we're not on a hamster wheel here. Time is going somewhere. There's a purpose to it. There's an end to it. And as we live in time for now, we are in pursuit of the eternal reality that God has promised and in him is already a reality. (laughs) Hard to put your mind around all of that because of our experience in time. But these are the promises of scripture for us. The other thing that that it's helpful to understand or to to know from scripture is, especially in the New Testament, there are two Greek words that are used to to suggest the idea of time. One is the word chronos. Uh, you, You might know the English word chronology or a chronometer, like a clock. Uh, the other word is kairos, which is a different kind of time. Chronos time is clock time, calendar time, minutes and seconds and, and uh, hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades and so on. Kairos time is different. Kairos time is talking about a particular moment in time. Uh, the Bible talks about the fullness of time. Uh, an appropriate time. You might say a, a pregnant moment in time. I mean, I, I've, one of my daughters is pregnant right now. And it's really interesting to reflect on this again. You know, we've been through this a few times, of course, in our lives. And, and, but to reflect on the fact that we have a little one that already is. You know, and yet... We haven't met this one yet. We don't even know if it's a boy or a girl. We don't know anything about who this little one is going to be, uh, what his or her name is going to be, uh, what she's going to be like, what he's going to be like, you know, what, what's going to happen for this person. We don't know. We just know that the person is. And one day we will meet him or her. And so, so there's this sense of reality, but there's also this sense of expectation. And we don't want the baby to come now. Because <laughs> that would be a terrible thing. But when the moment is right, when the time is perfected, when, when it's the kairos time, the important time, we trust the baby will come. And we've understood that this Christmas season, haven't we? as it relates to the coming of our Lord Jesus. I mean, this is really interesting stuff. I, 
I'm about to blow your mind here. At least my mind was blown. <laughs> okay, this is incredible. The least shall become a clan, verse 22. The, the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Keep reading. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint... Is this sounding familiar? You know what that text is that we just read, chapter 61, the first four verses? That's what Jesus read when he began his ministry in the temple. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. It's, it was that amazing moment. Jesus comes out of the wilderness and, and, and he goes to, to worship. And, uh, and, and, and it was the practice in that place. They would read from the scrolls. From, from the prophecies, from, from the, the ancient texts, from the book of Isaiah. And when the time came, Jesus, who had been sitting quietly somewhere in the crowd, he got up from his seat and he came forward and he, he took the scroll and he opened it to this text the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1. And he unrolled it and he read it to the people. And when he had finished, you could hear a pin drop. There was something in the air in that moment. He rolled the scroll, he replaced it. He went back and he sat down. It was time. Kairos time. The fullness of time. Jesus' time. The time when he would rise up and take on the ministry for which he had been put on the planet. To go and teach and preach and heal. Eventually to suffer to die, to rise, to ascend, that we might be forgiven. It was time. The time of God's promise. And let me tell you, this idea of God's swiftness when the time is right, his hastening of the appropriate moment. I want to tell you, this. Is, remember this, hold this, dwell on this, believe this. God is urgent for his promise within the timing of his purpose. God is urgent for his promise within the timing of his purpose. And I know it's hard. Some of us have been waiting for some things for a very long time as humans count time. 
We've been in pain. We've been disappointed and discouraged. We struggle. We, we see a different future and we long for it. It might be something relatively small like a job or a spouse or a deliverance from some physical thing. It might be the biggest things of all as we anticipate the heaven and the presence of God and his ultimate and total forgiveness. We long for these things and we wait and we wait. And it's hard. I remember, I mean, this is a relatively small thing, but uh, years and years ago before Karen and I were married, uh, she, I, I had gone to uh, Calgary, which was her city, not mine. I was from Vancouver. She's from Calgary. I went to her city to get to know her, you know, and to, um, you know, get a job, but, but mostly to get to know her and to develop our relationship. We were dating, and I was thinking it might get serious, and it did. Uh, so I went to her city, and then she had the gall to decide to get up and, with a friend and go to England for a month. Well, great for her. <laughs> but here I was stuck in Calgary for a month. A whole month. Do you have any idea how long that is? I got like a, a calendar, you know. It's almost like <laughs> I was thinking of this the other day when we had this advent calendar on our wall. I had a calendar like that with the month of August on my wall. And every day she was gone, I put an X through the day. <laughs> You know, they tell you, you know, like the, the watch pot that doesn't boil, you know, like, like, you know, the watch calendar doesn't seem to move very fast. It's like, it's that weird thing about time. The more you examine it, the slower it goes. It's, it's I, I don't understand. That was a long month. Before she left, Karen had given me a gift. She had a, a small painting. And on the painting, there was a beautiful tree an abundant, glorious, you know, full tree. And, and she had uh, put a scripture verse uh, in calligraphy alongside the tree from Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred <laughs> makes the heart sick. <laughs> but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And so we wait. We wait. <laughs> Isaiah 40 says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And they'll mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. And so we wait. It's not the moment yet. I don't know what kind of burden you carry today. I don't know what you're waiting for. I suspect it's hard. Waiting usually is. Patience doesn't come easily to us. But we are a people of hope. And it's not that I hope so kind of hope. It is a hope filled with proleptic faith. 
The understanding that the God who is eternal, who has made promises to us, is urgent for that promise within the timing of his purpose. We look for the right time, the appropriate the time, the time when everything's ready, when God's purposes are ready to burst into flower, when the time is right. So we hang on. And I want to tell you, that, so, so it's, it is an oxymoron. It's a weird thing, this, this slow swiftness, you know, this patient hope, expectation. But we live in that. And it fuels us. It encourages us. It powers us. Because the God who already fulfilled his promise the first time. Remember Isaiah 61? That was centuries before the fulfillment in Jesus in Luke chapter. I mean, that's another weird thing about time. We have it all in one book now. We we read Isaiah 61. It takes us seconds to flip over to Luke chapter 4. Right? That's the weirdness of time. Like for us, because it's all past, it's like, doesn't matter. It's like 61, four, Luke 4, whatever. It's just all. But for those people, the gap between the promise and its fulfillment was centuries long. Now we wait for the second coming. God filled the promise the first time. You know he will the second time. In his mind, it's already happened. <laughs> you know. But for you and I, we wait. I'll tell you one more thing. When, we, uh, when Karen came home from England and I went to the airport and greeted her, it was incredible. I still remember that day. Like it, was, it, was, it was an incredible feeling, an incredible moment. And like, <laughs> look at these guys. They, they, they <laughs> you, you know the feeling. <laughs> you know? And, you, and you come together like that. Some of you have had that experience. And it's like that whole month disappeared. Like, it's like it never even happened. It's like you're, you're, you're together. It's perfected. It's full. It's real. It's awesome. And one day, one day in Christ, we will know that blessing. God is urgent for it. He will hasten it swiftly in its time. God is urgent for his promise within the timing of his purpose. But for now, we wait. Will you wait with me? Lord, this is the essence of our hope, our faith, our confidence, our capacity to live another moment, to take another step, to pursue another year. The confidence that you are at work, that your will will be done, that you are eternal and the things that you have promised are yes and amen and already actual in eternity. Lord, we, we, are, we who live within time struggle with patience and hope. We ask that you would fill our hope with truth and with the confidence that, that you can offer us by your spirit uh, as we reflect on the fact that you have already come 
and that you, in hope of the truth, that you will come again. We look forward to that and uh, place our hope in that, our faith in that. In the meantime, Lord, we have hard things. We've prayed about many of them already today. There are other things that weren't expressed that we struggle with. Uh, ailments and disappointments and hurts and just long, like the longing for a loved one who needs to come to faith, for a child who is struggling and has, has gone astray, for uh, just a, a hundred different things that we wish for, Lord. We wait on you. We trust you and we look for you to allow us to, um, to know the swiftness of your fulfillment of the promises that you've made to us when the time is right. In the meantime, Lord, we will be patient. We will wait in faith, in Jesus, in his name. Amen.